0: Okay, we are fast approaching the end of the World Cup season and this weekend we're heading to the penultimate round of the year. So this is your Maxis Tyres pre-race show from Snowshoe, West Virginia with Chris Kilmurry maxis is synonymous with racing and is the name that comes to mind when you think of performance it's no surprise then that they've won more than any other brand in the history of world cup racing no matter where or how you ride maxis has the tires for you with a wide range of tread patterns casing and compound options on my enduro bike i'm running the dhr2 max terra double down on the rear paired up with the asagai max grip up front in the slightly lighter Exo plus casing on the downhill bike i've got a dhr2 front and rear both using the dh casing and with their super grippy max grip compound both those setups are working great for me but you can check out the range and see what's going to work for you you can check out the entire range of maxis tires over at maxis.com and find the tires at your local maxis dealer you can also give them a follow on instagram where they're at MaxisBike. bike all right it's time to check in with chris kilmurray as we head into the final block of world cup racing for 2023 what should we expect from snowshoes unique track who's on form what does the weather have in store for us and plenty more so without further ado here's your maxis tires pre-race show for the 2023 snowshoe world cup all right chris kilmurray welcome back to the downtime podcast we've actually had a two-week break have you had have you had a nice time yeah i finally got away from you for a bit. <laughs> 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 it, it feels like a long time I checked the calendar because it felt like ages but it is only two weeks like uh, uh, what yeah, it's, have people it's been up funny, to you know
1: it is crazy it is only two weeks I think a lot of people had a a good couple of days off and a bit of a decompress after Leger depending on how their three-week block went and then after that everyone kind of came over this way and obviously some people raced US Open and uh, a lot of people wrote down what it looked like and yeah two weeks that felt like uh, two months it looks like yeah, definitely. And there
0: was uh, quite a lot of illness floating around in Léger. I saw the <sighs> Dialed video earlier with Geordie from Fox saying he'd basically, I think he was ill from Ludenvier and then picked up COVID in Leje and has, has been like flat on his back for the last two weeks. But uh, as far as we know, have most of the athletes kind of escaped the worst of that?
1: Yeah, definitely. As far as, far as I'm aware, anyway, I think a lot of people did pick up uh, versions of gastrointestinal kind of flu and then COVID or both at the same time or everything all at once um, between Ludenville and, and Leger. But as far as I know, I think everyone's alive and healthy. So They're all young young and fit, so we've had two weeks to recover. Yeah, fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, true, true. And uh, this for the first time this season, the tables are turned, I guess, for the uh, kind of European-based riders heading out to the US. It's normally the US uh, riders flying in and having to deal with the jet lag and you know different time zones and different food and setups and all that kind of stuff like do you think there's any like real advantage to be had for the US riders that are on their like home territory on in this instance
1: i think there's definitely some like there's advantage in terms of the extra the little boost it gives you to be at home to have the home fans to to just you know feel like you're you're in your home place everything feels super familiar even though everyone spends so much time in Europe that it must feel like a second home for a lot of them I think all the Europeans and all the other riders kind of get it easy because it is only a five or six hour time difference it's only a quick single flight across the Atlantic it's not super far away so I think everyone pretty much everyone has it easy if you're, if you're West Coast US you're still travelling quite a bit you've still got a little bit of jet lag to deal with um, pretty much the same as the Europeans, just in the opposite direction. Um, so I think the only advantage that the American riders or the North American riders are going to get is that they'll feel a little bit at home. And no one lives around here. I think the closest racers to here are the, are the likes of Lucas Shaw, Chris Grice and Nico Malali, who live between you know Tennessee and uh, North Carolina. So there's no there's no true locals from uh, West Virginia racing World Cups, as far as I know.
0: Yeah, fair. And how's the personal jet lag? Like you uh, you said you had a pretty big sleep last night, but.
1: Yeah, just a classic you know everyone eyes wide awake at a, at 3 or 4am when it's when it's you know definite wake up time and in, in your body clock back in, in European time and then if you're lucky enough you just kind of slumber off back to sleep and roll out of bed at midday or something <laughs> but no I think the 5 hours 5 or 6 hours you know 5 hours for the British racers 6 hours for, for all the European based guys uh, or a lot of the British racers who probably would have stayed out in Morzine and Leger area and after Leger, uh, five or six hours west isn't actually that bad. It takes you probably, you know, the, the, the classic trope is, you know, a, a day per time zone uh, to fully get over it. So uh, five days to go five days, five hours west isn't that bad. But the reality is, I think two or three days and you're pretty much over the worst of it over here. If, if having flown west, flying east is a lot worse. So yeah. anyone who flew in from California probably actually has a worse time. But as we saw, a lot of people went to US Open first, which isn't actually that close to here. Given that uh, USA is at vast, it's still a good kind of six or seven hour drive, I think, if not more, um, from the north of Vermont down here to to West Virginia. But a lot of people did do US Open as well, so they've you know got over the jet lag that way. So everyone will be chomping at the bit to get to get going here. Yeah, do you
0: think there's benefits to that? Because obviously you're not getting the like. Rest and recovery, but like uh US Open looks like a fun weekend and like you say, you're on US soil, getting into the time zone and just getting a bit more racing under your belt, like getting some confidence and uh putting times on the clock.
1: Yeah, and getting used to the terrain too. I think if you spoke to someone, say like Steve Peter or Minar, who raced all these races in, in these areas you know, on the Norba circuit and the World Cup circuit through the late nineties into the early two thousands when we were over here quite frequently. I think if you ask those guys, they'd probably talk a lot about getting used to the, the terrain again, because it's it is really different to what you get in Europe. Like it's still mountain biking, it's still it's it's obviously the same foundations, but it's just not as steep as a lot of the European uh, alpine venues, especially. and just how the hills are laid out, I think even just infrastructure-wise with fire roads and ski lifts, it's it's just different to Europe. So the the hallmarks it attracts are just a touch different. It's you got to carry your speed. you got to generate speed. You're not just on the brakes like you are in a lot of European venues. Um, so I think coming over and doing US Open, which um, it's not, you know, the dirt is quite different to here. But in, in terms of the gradient and the general layout and the feel of it all, I think there's probably quite a few similarities at times and the rocks. There's no shortage of rocks up there and down here. So I think, yeah, for a lot of racers that don't ride over this neck of the woods very often, having, you know, get a couple of laps at US Open definitely, will definitely help.
0: Yeah, let's talk a bit about the track then because it is, like you say, it's quite um, unique, I guess, in its challenges. Tell us, um, yeah, what can we expect this year? Are we aware of much uh, kind of changes from previous years at Snowshoe? They tend to put in some fresh bits for us most times
1: around. Yeah, they usually do a pretty good job here giving us fresh bits. I think they could, they could have used a bit more of the, of the ski field, the ski piece, either side, give us a bit more of that, like like they did early, the first race in 2019, which had those big high speed sections, on the ski piece, and I personally would have liked, to have seen a bit of that, just for a bit of variety, you know, to get off the, the real narrow single trail, bike park kind of terrain, but that's, that's neither here nor there, um, I got in yesterday uh, early afternoon, so I had a. We're staying literally 100 meters from the track, so I ran up and down a few times just for my own my own pleasure, <laughs> my own anti jet like pleasure. Um, and it's I think it's probably going to be about yeah 90 percent the same as last year, give or give or, give or take. So they've have added a few fresh sections at the top, which they're not going to use in the end because they're not wide enough. They're just a little bit too narrow for for line choice and variety. So that we're kind of s- the same out of the start gate. Um, A little short fresh wood section with a small wooden kind of step down, which brings us on to the fire road and the ski field to that tree portal jump where you jump through the trees Um, and a a couple of big grass turns there. And then from there down we used the wood section that was new last year. So that was new, real loamy, got really wet and cloggy and extremely muddy last year and didn't really flow very well because of how gnarly it was. Uh, with the rocks and just the, the slick mud. So that's that's in again, but the slick mud is pretty much gone from what I could see. It's down to hard pack, so it's real similar to the rest of the of the trails on the hill. Um, Quite hard pack. It'll be easy, way easier to move around, way easier to choose lines. That's quite wide. It's got real clear line options already, like insides, middles and highs, which will kind of give you that snake and ladder effect the whole way down where you can set up early and cut in or you can set up late and go wide and so i think there's going to be some good choice there especially if it does dry out again and get a little bit you know a little bit more consistent in terms of the weather um and then below that it's classic snowshoe. so everything we would have seen obviously sector two uh, which is this new wood section we didn't see it on tv last year red bull just didn't have enough cameras uh, to see it all I'm um, hoping this year with with Discovery and the extra money and the extra infrastructure we'll actually get to see some of that on TV which I think we will for the, at least the last you know three or four females and the last ten men um, but yeah below that that new Sector 2 stuff where it isn't the classic snowshoe the stuff that everyone has seen on TV for the last three or four visits here so uh, rocks flat rocks and lots of them <laughs> right to the finish line basically the classic what, what you know basically yeah
0: Yeah, and key sections, is it that, like, those flatter rock sections at the bottom where you've really got to commit and carry your speed through, or are there other places on the track that could be,
1: you know, deciding features? I mean, yeah, for for both categories last year, male and female, um, and the juniors as well, um... Sectors three and four, so the, the the rock gardens at the bottom, the flat rock gardens, before you come out onto the final kind of fire road, ski piece, to ski field section, they were key to the race. You had to get through there quickly, and there was so much time to be made or lost. If if you watch the women's racing back from last year, you'll see like uh, Nina and Cami made up huge chunks of time on Valley in, in the lower rocks, for example, just by carrying more speed, getting less deflections, and just having the confidence to let the bike run, even though it was really slick. So I think that's going to be the same. So yeah, hard to know last year um how much of the i suppose the the chopping up of the importance of the of the sections and sectors attracts was down to the conditions and down to the weather or down to the sections themselves but really we've seen every year we've come here even as far back as 2019 that those lower rocks were, were key to the race um, and you could make mistakes especially last year with the conditions you could make mistakes like amory made a huge mistake up top at the exit of the new woods and um, which you can see on i don't know if it was on a gopro I definitely think there was a GoPro floating around of it at one stage. Um, you could see a huge mistake he made um, coming out to the flattest of flat sections. You know, there's there's one bit which is pretty much uphill, leaving the woods. Um, and he, he made the time back and won the race. So there's, there's, there's big time t- chunks to be had here if, if you do a good job, especially lower down in the rocks. So I think the weather forecast says Friday, Saturday, we're actually going to get some sort of sunshine um up until then it's zero hours of sun each day We're just in the clouds <laughs> up until then so it rained a lot last night um yesterday when i walked it it was a bit slick but you get you know you walked with, p- with pretty much clean boots top to bottom whereas today i think if i went down now i think i'd be uh i'd be uh having a wide stance surfing my way down the hill so fingers crossed it dries out
0: <laughs> yeah i guess that's kind of what happened last year wasn't it it was drying through the elite finals on the on the saturday last
1: year yeah the women had like the worst of the conditions that you know that kind of point in time when it's starting to dry out but it's not dry and it gets really really slick as the humidity comes up from the soil as you know things start to evaporate and then the men got it far far better um, but it was still quite unpredictable at spots like we saw with so many mistakes and crashes and stuff um, so that's yeah that's how it worked last year it definitely got real as far as I remember it got really really sunny and quite warm for, for race day last year and um, the forecast doesn't look that promising this year but we'll we'll see Fingers crossed. I think the juniors tomorrow afternoon are uh, going to have an interesting day. (laughs) So a week to play it safe a little
0: bit initially, maybe just trying to let the track cut in and and, uh, try and keep it upright for the first few days.
1: Yeah, I th- I think so. I think like having some sort of I'll definitely talk about that tactical side of things with anyone I work with, any any of the riders I coach this week. Just figuring out what what's the best way to approach it. Some of them, you know, like like Tana, she's she's not seen this this long new section of of forest wood section at the top, so she's gonna have to learn that. Um, other riders have you know different goals and different focuses. Some of them are coming off the back of you know really good results in léger, and they want to kind of stay at that top ten kind of position. Where they finished in Leger or they've they've got a, a an overall goal in mind now that we're coming to the end of the the end of the season, and you can start to figure out you know what's actually possible points wise, and where where your best possible finish for the season is. So if you can climb from twenty fifth to top twenty, like some of the riders I work with are, are looking at, so there's lots of like uh, kind of variables on the, on the outside that are going to impact people's approach the first few days of practice. But everyone's. Uh, the, the bottom line is everyone knows the track inside and out. So there's not going to be a whole pile of, with the exception of like that new wood section, especially the lower sections, everyone knows it inside and out. So there's not going to be a whole lot of surprises. I think, you know, lines from the previous years are going to work no matter what. It's just a matter of figuring out bike and body on, on day one and day two. So, And as, as we've seen, as we talked about numerous times when we do pre-race shows, getting up to speed for qualities is essential. And, and as we've seen with the times this year, you know, historically we'd say on a track of, of this duration, just over three minutes, you know that a classic kind of downhill track duration. You might find four to six seconds between qualies and finals. Now with semi-finals in the mix, we're finding like, you know, three seconds max or two and a half seconds from qualies to finals. So we're only finding these small margins from qualies to semis to finals uh, for the winning time. So there's there's something in the mix in terms of how. The three runs over two days is is impacting on people, and just how quick people are getting up to speed. And quality runs are, are super fast now. You know, you can you can start to predict top thirty cutoffs for the main of quality runs pretty pretty consistently now, if, if weather conditions stay the same. And I'm not exactly sure what the new format has has actually changed. I think end of season and a bit of analysis will it'll definitely help, but we're not seeing huge time differences. So I think people are just up to speed real fast. So. Okay. If, you, if everyone's up to speed real fast, you need to be up to speed too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Talk to me a bit about
0: bike setup because I think we've seen people here in the past looking for compliance in the bike, be that like frame, fork, wheels, all that kind of stuff to help the bikes hold a line maybe through some of that more chaotic like rock section stuff at the bottom. Is that is that the general way that people are tending to go here?
1: Yeah, I think as long as the bike um, stays... The geometry says constant and the bike sits up and gives you that co- confident platform through the rocks because they're they're quite, you know, they're square edged in spots and it's, they're, none of them are, you know, it's not like the water flows down. It's not like we're in an old riverbed or anything really. It's, they're very janky and there's a lot of square edges that are pointing the wrong way and facing the wrong direction that catch wheels and tires and stuff. So you definitely need, yeah, you need, you need confidence in the setup to let it, to let it flow and track. So I think first protocol is, is getting the balance and the spring rates dialed, especially the rear, the rear end um for which for a lot of racers probably won't change a whole pile from from the previous races some of them may try and go up a little bit maybe up 25 pounds on in a, in a shock or a couple of psi in an air shock uh, just to balance things out a touch and just keep it on top of the the square edge rocks and it's it's pretty flat like we said it's there's a lot of like pedaling and pumping in, in spots further up the hill to to generate speed if you want to be getting to the lower sections in touch for the win you know Uh, And then there is the big steep section under the lift and those kind of steeper, bowled-out gully corners. Um, So, yeah, I think people will definitely be working and scratching their heads in terms of just making sure they're they're on it with setup from early on and letting the bike carry good speed over the top of the rocks and letting things track. Um, And then, obviously, weather is going to impact that because if you've got super slimy, slick rocks, uh, you're not really feeling a whole pile. And if you you think you're feeling lots in your setup, you're probably not, you know. (laughs) you're yeah. feeling the the variability in in the terrain not necessarily any variability in your bike setup so yeah definitely a uh, lot it's it's going to be an interesting week if the weather stays as kind of as uh, ugly as it is at this point in time um, and you got you know four kind of four elite men battling it out for the overall you've got a, you know a couple of the, the women now that want to finish the season on a high and sense kind of blood that valley made a mistake in Leger and marine on um, marine on four marine who won here in 2019 um, the only girl to do the triple at the time in the very last wood section. Um, so I think in in all categories there's definitely uh, there's definitely blood in the water. Let's say so yeah, getting <laughs> getting the bike dialed early on in practice and not not getting too set adrift by the variable conditions. If it is real slick in the first practice session, is going to be key. Yeah,
0: potentially a place where the uh, magic electric electricery on uh, Loic's bike could come into its own like if you've got a track where you need to be able to pedal pump like extract speed from the ground is is something like where you can change your damping settings uh, sort of simply on the fly i don't know whether that's automated or not yet on that bike but like assuming that's what's going on is that useful
1: i think the the majority of the transitions here between say technical sections or sections where you'd want open damping so let's say we're assuming that you know Bruni's buttons the bb let's call them Bruni's buttons are just damping modes so you're going from you know open damping to a more firm a more firm setting to, to give it a more stable platform for pumping or pedaling if we're assuming that's what it is which is the most likely scenario um, then i think the transitions between say tech and pump or, or tech and and the sections where you want to pedal or generate speed are, are quite they're quite short here uh, in the early sections of track so in my head i'd see him only starting to use that from the exit of the last rock garden so you exit that super janky right-hander over or either outside of the tree or on the tree route, and then you kind of pump yourself down onto the the ski field hit that left-hand berm and then you start pedaling to head into the last wood so that's probably where he'd you know he'd be in in mind to change to the more firmer dampened setting and leave it more firm potentially right to the finish line um I think further up the hill there's definitely spots like there's those berms um which most you'll you'll probably see on vital raw and you know whatever um social media footage that comes up and um, there's those berms in the kind of second wood section and you may or may not want to use it there i think yeah, hard super hard to tell I think, I think that like i said the transitions between between tech and and pump are, are relatively narrow so you may just leave her open and just get after it you know worry about what the legs are doing not what the bike is doing (laughs) fair comment let's talk a bit about the pits because they're they're different here in
0: the fact that they're at the top of the hill not at the bottom but maybe not a biggie maybe quite convenient but we are out of europe and most teams have their kind of big trucks and all their setup in europe and not straightforward uh, at this point in time i guess to bring that to the u.s like I've, i've not managed to make it to a u.s world cup like how different is the pit setup and does that have any like Impact to sort of level the playing field a bit between maybe some of the higher budget and lower budget teams, or
1: is that still apparent? No, I think the, I think the only leveling in the playing field that happens with this setup is that some of the North American riders that run pretty low budget setups when they come to Europe um, actually have a have a, a better, you know, just more infrastructure here, which is which is great to see, you know. So like, say a small team that's starting out again this year, like Transition Factory Racing, who has you know a Valentin in the junior field. Tristan Lemire coming back from injury and, and a, a lot of kind of up-and-coming US riders that they're supporting. They're obviously going to have, you know, better infrastructure here this week. Um, as will, say, Commensal USA riders that run, you know, around smaller teams in Europe. Maybe they're going to have, you know, more support and just more infrastructure from Commensal USA this week. Uh, but then the bigger teams um, with more budget will probably rent an RV. They'll rent a big motorhome of some kind. So they'll have that kind of comfort up in the pits. They'll have some sort of an RV with, you know, the the pop-out pneumatic walls, um, backing up to a couple of easy ups or a couple of pretty substantial easy ups. Uh, previous years, specialized have, you know, specialized gravity have had specialized North America's uh, pretty substantial kind of trailer, truck and trailer and, and easy easy up setups. So I think the bigger budget teams are still in some sort of an advantage. And I think the advantage in terms of uh, finances is relatively apparent in terms of who can bring the most spares, who can fly with extra stuff, or the bigger teams will ship in advance. So they'll get themselves a. DHL, UPS, FedEx, whoever your favorite shipping company is, and they'll do a pallet or two uh, a couple of weeks back or a month back and ship it over, you know. And then some of the other teams obviously have some sort of infrastructure here, so they'll leave, they'll leave stuff here from our last trip last year, you know. So I think it's a, a bit of a mixed bag, but uh, some of the smaller North American setups uh, in Europe will now be the bigger setups here, which is cool to see, you know. Flip flip the tables a little bit. And the pits themselves yeah. are, I'd say, 800, 800 meters I won't do yards. I don't like yards. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, about 800 meters or so from the start line. Um, so there's, you know, people will, you know, grab a van or a pickup and, and park the pickup near the start line um, to do some quick um, setup changes because obviously the lift comes up and finishes uh, right beside the start line. Um, so things are kind of relatively compact. It's it's a good setup. It's not ideal, but it's definitely good. Yeah.
0: Cool. Do you think we'll see more like? Teams having a full setup in North America and in Europe, like I know Martin Whiteley did back in the day, like had a, a team truck in both
1: areas. But do you think as we have more racing in North America, hopefully we'll see teams going that way? If we if we do have more racing in North America, I'm not sure that's set in stone yet. But I'd love to see it happen personally. Like I think coming over here and having three rounds um, on the East Coast at least, um, or doing the the hop over and back and doing a West Coast round and then two East Coast rounds to finish or something would be fantastic or finishing in California that would be amazing and if that does happen down the line you know between here and say 2026 or 2027 where we're getting you know solidified uh, three, four rounds in North America then teams will definitely have to start thinking about it but it's big budget you know it's, it's Martin Whiteley would be the guy to ask in terms of how how much budget was required to, to start setting that up and I, I know well I think I know from, from what Martin did is that you know he had a, a pretty substantial pretty big truck that um truck and trailer setup that would have been purchased potentially as far back as the the global racing era you know yeah it could have been budget from then and and it it could have just been a rebranded setup you know year in year out through the yt mob and everything else so yeah i think think thinking long term some teams maybe i don't know if they've got the long-term vision like martin had back in the day or maybe martin just had a big enough budget that long-term vision didn't matter he could just bite the bullet and spend the money back in the day you know um and I think, yeah, interesting, you know, you got you got to stock and store that stuff. you got to keep it road-worthy and road-legal. You need someone with the right credentials to, to drive between all the U.S. states. And definitely a lot to think about there, you know, a lot to think about. But if the sport, if we do get three rounds in North America in the future, three or four even, let's say, you know, down the line, hypothetically, then I definitely there'll be some, some of the bigger budget teams that'll start thinking about stuff, yeah. Yeah, be good to see. And uh, we're kind of
0: getting into silly season, and there's uh, lots of rumours floating around about people moving for riders whose contracts are up at the end of the season. Is there a potential distraction there with all
1: the sort of conversations around moves and stuff? Like, that's probably a pretty individual, pretty individual um, scenario. You know, some riders are just will will have. The, the mental capacities and capabilities just to just to operate on the bike and, and operate in terms of doing their best job at racing regardless of what the outside factors are um, and others will you know, it'll definitely be playing on their mind or be be something that kind of infl- infiltrates their thoughts um, I think if if you're a, a top racer and you've you've got the results to back it up you're probably you've probably had contracts signed or at least letters of intent signed already at this point in the year so you won't be stressing too hard you'll just be kind of working over the details or figuring that out Um, I don't exactly know who's moving where or who's slotting where I know a lot of riders are still in contract uh, or have re-signed so there's probably not a whole pile of silly season happening Um, a couple of teams here and there maybe shuffling and changing how they do things, or maybe more importantly a couple of brands changing how they do things uh, with teams so we might see extra or extra teams on the same brand or less teams in the same brand kind of thing next year so exciting yeah but I think a lot of the riders if you're in the top the, the, the riders that we're going to, you know, we're really going to talk about in terms of say the top ten elite men and the top five elite females, they're definitely going to be thinking about their overall the next two weeks versus their contracts and let the results let the results finalize the contracts come uh, Saturday night in monson Anne. <laughs> yeah,
0: but for riders that that are out of contracts and maybe haven't had the best season, I'm guessing they're going to be sort of feeling a uh, pressure to perform, which could go one way or the other, right? Maybe we could see some some riders that wouldn't normally be in those higher positions getting some because they're just so driven to do it and show what they can do or i guess that could go the other way and they could completely implode but there must be some pressure for some riders that if they haven't found a seat yet
1: yeah i think are you going to find just this magical pace just out of pure you know anger or motivation or, or whatever else that comes from the fact that you're losing a ride or you've not had the best season or your your salary's gone down i'm not sure that's Not really sure it's going to happen. If you've had the pace, it would have shown at least a couple of times this season. You know, we've had, we've had more time on the clock than ever. You know, we've had whatever, what have we had? uh, 17 runs. Minus, we didn't have semifinals in Andorra. So removing world champs, we've had 17 runs on the clock. And if you've not been putting down fast sectors or at least one one or two good results in quali, semis or finals um this season then the chances of you just finding this magical pace is is not it's probably not going to happen however the north american races like we do see do do throw up some interesting uh whether it's the tracks being a little bit flatter and a little bit you know rougher and rockier or or Monsignan just being so long and and fast and gnarly you know occasionally we do get some interesting results at these uh, at these stops so maybe it'll be more so just that playing into people's hands than than any sort of motivation from having your salary chopped in half you know
0: yeah, true. Fair point. Let's chat a little bit about the uh, the racing and the way things are stacking up. So Valley Hole's got a pretty substantial lead in the overall. I think it's going to be fairly hard um, for anyone to challenge that, but she can wrap it up this weekend if she has a good one. But like you said, uh, she, she didn't win here last year. Um, Nina's going well still hungry for it, got that US win, um, US Open win. It's going to be good for confidence. Like Valley's going to have a target on a bat, I'm I'm guessing, this weekend from uh, a lot of the female riders.
1: Yeah, Yeah, like Marine's pretty, relatively close, considering how, you know, kind of, um, not off the pace, but, you know, she was, at the early part of the season, her and Tani were very, very close, for example, you know, six and sevenths and that sort of, you know, the, the bottom of the podium earlier in the season as both of them are coming back from injury and then Marion's managed to turn it around these last couple of races and really, you know, like, was right up there um, just behind Tani and Andorra and then ahead in Ludenville and then, you know, smoked it and got the win in, in Leger. So she's been progressively improving and she, she's been doing a good job in the, in the finals, you know, the last four races she's been on the podium in the finals and um, she's been on every podium except one, I think, this season. So that's as soon as you're on the podium, come come finals. I think it's doing good in the points. So Marion's actually relatively close to Nina and not a whole pile further back uh, on Valley than Nina is. Uh, so Val- Valley's definitely got she's got a commanding lead. But as we've seen in Snowshoe before with Miriam and Tebo um in previous seasons, and the whole Danny Hart Amory Pierre on Loic Bruny triad we had in 2019. Uh, anything's possible, like literally anything is possible. It's a shame Snowshoes not the last race again because it's just consistently delivered high drama in terms of the overalls. Um, I think just because it is, those rock gardens at the bottom, they're just hard to execute cleanly, you know. It's easy to get deflected and make a mistake and lose a couple of seconds or it's easy just to explode as we've seen other riders do, you know, blow a bike up like Thibaut did or just have a huge crash like Tebow did (laughs) in 2021. Um, So, you know, Miriam threw it away, crashing in the fire road, um, one of the seasons kind of had a, a few issues last year. Tebo's thrown it away here. It's been it's been a wild place for overall. So maybe this is going to leave us in a, this race this week is going to leave us in some interesting places for uh, um, for Mont sin Anne. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued to see. I've I noticed that Hattie Handen's on the uh, entry list again this weekend, continuing uh, dipping the toe in the water of, of downer racing, but she's free of. Uh, EDR now, obviously that season's finished so she's not going to stay in one piece also a rider that's really good at kind of technical stuff, really good at generating and maintaining speed Uh, potentially quite a a
1: hot wildcard entry that one I would have thought. Yeah, it was super interesting to see what what Hattie can do here, it's definitely not I've raced a lot of EWSs over the over the years, and the Rock Gardens here are not very EWS style, let's say. I mean, the the entry speeds and the speed the speeds you maintain through the lower rocks are, are, you know, it's it's pretty high speed considering considering how janky it can be in spots, and it's pretty high commitment. Um, Whereas EWS at times in the Rock Gardens can be quite high commitment, but lower speeds, and you have to kind of work the bike through the jank. So, uh, really interesting to see. And like she's she's on a, a trek session; it's got a high pivot. Uh, those bikes have always gone well here in the past. Like Loris, probably should have won the race here last year, but he had that kind of crash slash stall at the exit of the Rock Garden. Uh, Reese Wilson won uh, in twenty twenty one here the first race, and he should have won the second race, but he exploded the the, the drivetrain. Um, so those bikes have gone well here in the past. Um, so yeah, and Valley, of course. So interesting to see how she goes. Yeah, and it's not another we're you know, we're not we don't Definitely. have Rachel here anymore. Cami's injured. Um, Jess blewett's injured. Um, so having hattie back in the mix is just another another contender for the i think realistically another contender for the the bottom half of the podium let's say um and that's that's exactly where the biggest battles are happening in terms of you know between phoebe Tanney, um monica rasnik uh, marine up to up to recently uh lisa bauman so it's yeah it's super cool to see just another woman in, in the mix and millie too i guess millie seems to be on good form
0: so that'd be interesting
1: yeah, I turned it around to Leger, you know, she's she's gone well there in the past and she went well there again this time, so first podium in the season for her, so we'll, yeah, another another name in the mix, you know, no, no use um, trying to predict now, you just got to get on track and get eyes on it and see who's doing what. Yeah, and then the men's overall much tighter, like Loic's in the lead, but it's not a huge
0: lead. Uh, and some very dangerous riders following in with Jackson, Loris, Finn, even, even Benoit. And I'm guessing Benoit's got to be pretty dangerous. I mean, he's won five of the last six time runs, I think, at a World Cup. Yep. And then coming off that first win in Leje, um,
1: he's, he's got to be a big threat. Yeah, massively. Um, the biggest of big threats really at times, I think. If he didn't have the... the um... The issues he had in in Andorra finals, he would be very close to leading the overall, which I think it's easy to uh easy to forget that you know he's racked up some consistent points before that. Uh, it wasn't great; he had you know some some kind of stalls and issues in in the earlier rounds. Um, but if it wasn't for the Andorra where he finished, I think like oh, I can't even remember where he finished in finals. You know, but unfortunately for him, Andorra was that um was that, you know, no semis race. So if, if you had a bad run in Andorra, you, you got no points basically because you're way, way back, you know, in the top 60. Um, but if it wasn't for that, I think he'd be pretty close to, to leading the overall or a whole lot closer to, to Jackson and Bruni in P1, P2. Um, we've got Loris in the mix. Loris has gone well here in the past. Um, Loris could easily come in, you know, in that kind of underdogish position and, and sneak in and, and you know, grab the leader's jersey by the end of this weekend. There's 400 points up for grabs. Finn has been a little bit off the boil. I saw he was out riding in, in um, Windrock with his mechanic Kevin, so they're obviously working on stuff, trying to trying to find that kind of speed he had uh, in the early half of the season when he was, you know, just... He won, you know, um, semifinals in Leo Gang. He was right up there in all, the other, in all the other timed runs, and since then he's been a little bit off the boil. Um, So yeah um, crazy huh? like specialised gravity riders have all had the leader's jersey otherwise the only person at the leader's jersey was Jackson um, Jackson first year elite could he take the only could he be the only guy to take two wins in the season and the overall it's definitely very possible I think it's we're in for some kind of fairy tale fairy tale overall stories here
0: definitely but there's plenty of other riders as well that are looking to kind of get in the mix there like Andy Cole. Is on good form this year. Was third there last year. Greg Minar was fifth in snowshoe last year and seems to be back on good form and, and keen to get good results. But Bernard Kerr uh, still like looking for that elusive win and was super close uh, last year. Um, and then one rider who really stands out, uh, who's going to want this, I think, as much as anyone out there is Dakota Norton. Like this guy seems to have really found some form. Hasn't quite managed to put it together in the way that he'd want, maybe, but fresh
1: off a US Open win. uh, It'd be cool to see him do it on home soil, eh? Yeah, massively like i think if if, da, if dak dakota won it here it would be it'd be kind of a fairy tale a fairy tale portion of his career to get your first win at home and add to the fairy tale of the season where everyone is winning at home it looks like you know benoit won in france andy Cole won in, in france lowick or in austria lowick won in france so yeah crazy um charlie hatton won in in great britain um so maybe maybe dakota or Lucas Shaw, who's definitely goes well here especially uh Especially in the upper sections of track here, um, he's he's one of the guys to watch. I think in in the pumpy and pedally sections, so those those North American guys could definitely yeah. I think Dakota is definitely on form. Um, he's probably he, he's battling it out with Benoit Coulange for the most plenty laps in the season. So those guys <laughs> who put the work in on the downhill bike in the in the mid portion of the season are definitely reaping the benefits now. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Excited to see how how it pans out. And a guy like Troy Brosnan has done well here in the past, and he's kind of just under the radar, creeping away you know, has Thibaut Duprella mature, or Thibaut Duprella's out, isn't he? Sorry. Poor got Another body lost, eh? Thibaut and Charlie. It's crazy to think we've actually lost quite so many riders at the end. We, we're starting to lose. But Greg Menard is one I'd be keeping an eye on. I think he's, yeah. um, he's, he's built that form as the season's gone on. Like we talked about one of the previous pre-race shows where I kind of said my advice to Greg is just be to just let it come, like step by step, race by race, just do the work that you know how to do and let it build. And that's kind of what he's done in the end. He's just put the work in and step-by-step, race-by-race, he's just finding that pace. And he's one of the guys who can just stand up and let the bike absolutely plow through the rocks. And, you know, if, if he does a good job in the upper wood sections, it's kind of semi-old school here. He'll feel quite at home. I think if, if his memory is good enough to remember the the early 2000s when he was winning Norba's and Norba Champ, then uh, this this is feel, feels right at home for him, so... Um, yeah, it's it's exciting. I think if you, if you get the the overall standings, the current individual standings, and you, and you flick through the top twenty, right down to Antoine Vidal in twentieth, there is a lot of guys there that can do do big damage this week and battle it out for the top ten at least, and, and definitely the podium. And kind of like we talked about, there's some fairy tale stories in the making. So people are kind of going to be looking to take control of their fairy tale and, and write some write some magic into the history books, you know definitely and there's another
0: wild card that I spotted on the entry list that kind of got me a bit excited I'm, I'm keen to see how uh, the EDR uh, World Cup overall champion Richie uh-huh. Root gets on this weekend because
1: no slouch on a downhill bike we all know that no he's been good he was like just at the downhill races he has done this year he was just off the pace of say you know he was riding at Rock Creek at National Champs US National Champs and Wind Rock and a few others so he was just behind uh, Austin Dooley who I coach so say if we're looking at like at those races a lot of the time it was Austin Dooley Dakota Norton and Lucas Shaw was kind of your top three and then Asa Vermet, who just got second at who's not old enough to race World Cups who just got second at US Open um, he was time wise, he was he was right there in the mix, if not ahead of everyone at some stages. And then not not too far back, just kind of creeping in the shadows, just maybe just ahead of like say Chris Grice, uh, Richie Roode was right there. A couple of a couple of tens or a couple of seconds back on the fastest of the fast. But the fastest of the fast, like Luca Dakota uh, Austin are just pouring their their entire lives into being downhill racers at the moment, you know. And Richie Richie's on new equipment, a prototype bike that he just hasn't got to ride enough because he was looking to wrap up the, the the Enduro overall. I won't call it EDR, sorry. Um, <laughs> looking to wrap up the Enduro overall, and um, uh, here he is on his bike with nothing else to worry about now, only going fast. So I'm really really excited, you know. I've been I've been I know Richie for years, back from when I coached Cam Cole on Yeti in twenty. 13 kind of season so i know richie from way back then when he was a little little junior Grammy coming up and uh i've been i've been annoying him as the season progressed anytime we cross paths this season i've been annoying and annoying him as much as possible about just dropping the the enduro bike and picking the downhill bike up you know so i'm excited to see super excited to see how he goes and this sort of terrain he's from you know east coast u.s he ride he's ridden a lot over the years on you know especially further north kind of um the the original new england states up in the northeast he's ridden a lot of that that terrain he knows it inside and out so i think this sort of terrain especially with the slick conditions and the rocks i think it's going to be yeah super interesting to see that is an exciting story in the making for sure yeah
0: yeah it's going to be a great week man well thank you very much i'm even more excited about watching some racing this weekend than i was before we sat down for a chat so yeah thanks for for your time i hope you have a good time track side and all the riders get on well
1: and uh, look forward to seeing how it all pans out yeah, I'm totally, I'm probably, I'm more excited than you are now that I've, I've talked about it. It's going to be, it's going to be good. Let's just, fingers crossed that um, it does start to dry out slowly. I'd like some consistent conditions, you know. Yeah, that would be nice. Nice one. Cheers, Chris. All right, Have a good day.
0: All right, that's it for this Maxis Tyres pre-race show with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to Maxis for supporting this season. Maxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to Maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. Here are a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow so you don't miss an episode, forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch, and forward slash EP if you'd like copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. If you want to help support the show, then you can set up a regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash Downtimepodcast. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today, but until next time, get out and ride. (coughs)